looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mmm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -mm Mmm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. This brand is truly exciting and so glad that they are starting to make a positive impact. Little Bean Soapery is a woman-owned small business based in Northeast Pennsylvania. Little Bean Soapery does so much as all products are handcrafted and offer many different things for both men and women. Soaps, scrubs, body butters, bath bombs, solid cologne and much more. Little Bean Soapery also does things for special occasions such as birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day and special seasonal gift sets. But also let's not forget large orders for party favours by request. The great things about all products is that they are crafted to be nourishing on the skin. If you wish to check them out please feel free to visit littlebeansoapery.com. Any questions, please feel free to also email littlebeansoapery at gmail.com for custom inquiries and or ask anything else you wish. Tell them that Elena from Crazy Train Radio sends you. Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State, 
and order your specific custom mask from any other films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele. And I'm Elena, your favorite host from the Emerald Isles. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. Hi, it's Nina Blackwood, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. This next guest is probably best known as being one of the original five VJs on MTV from the channel's launch in 1981 through 1986. Following that wonderful launch of a channel, she went on to host Solid Gold, the Rock and Roll Report segment of Entertainment Tonight, and also with nationally syndicated radio shows such as Nina Blackwood's Absolute 80s and Nina Blackwood's New Wave Nation. She can be heard currently today on a little application slash radio in cars called Sirius XM, 80s on 8. Please welcome Nina Blackwood. Hey, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? No complaints. And... I mentioned that in the introduction about being one of the original VJs, and I guess I'll start there. It's coming up, which is hard to believe, a big anniversary. Can you believe it? No. The 40th anniversary, August 1st, it's like incomprehensible. I mean, it really is. 40? How can it be? (laughs) I don't feel 40 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's only 26, folks. She has a... uh, Austin yeah. Powers, uh, oh, God. it went it went by very fast. Can you believe? Well, maybe you can because you've seen and done a lot with the entertainment business. But it's just amazing how things have advanced since 1981. But are you surprised where we are? Whether it be MTV or, like I mentioned, satellite radio. Um, well, you know, the technology for better or worse, um, I don't know, you know, I, I'm not a big tech person, so I think there are good things about it, but I, I, I also believe it's overkill, you know, it's supposed to make our lives simpler, and sometimes I find it to be more complex, because <laughs> everything is through the computer, and blah, blah, blah. And um, as far as satellite radio, uh, you know, we've been around for quite some time now. And, uh, you know, I think it's wonderful. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, medium. So in that regard, uh, I can't complain about the tech because it enables me to do my shows. Well, speaking of that particular tech, and I know you said there, I know you said there you're not so much a tech person, but nah. I have a 
serious account, obviously, and listen to you on 80s on 8. But with the pandemic, there's a gentleman who is well-known. I believe it's channels 100 and 101 that my fan base is familiar that I listen to, Mr. Stern. And he was doing his show from home. So with the pandemic, how were you doing your shows, whether tape, live, all that stuff? Well, I actually um, was, I had my own studio. So I was doing uh, my show from there beforehand. So as far as uh, me personally with the pandemic and a day-to-day basis, uh, work-wise, it didn't affect me that much. I was, you know, I was just pretty much, you know, same as usual. Um, but I know for, uh, you know, the company, the offices, uh, you know, that was a big change. They closed all the offices. So everybody has been working at home, um, you know, so that that was quite a big deal. So, if I can ask, whereabouts in the country are you currently? Um, I'm East Coast. Okay, great. Because I know, besides Howard and yourself, I know there are other shows that do stuff from home, which is great. Because I know, but sometimes folks would go into the studio, pandemic or not. I know there's studios in Nashville, there's some in Miami, and obviously Los Angeles and such. New York and Washington, D.C. Yep. So it's actually kind of cool to hear that what the company is doing as a whole and how many, it's not just one place. No. And a lot of people, um, you know, were, it just depends. A lot of people, a lot of air talent, uh, you know, live everywhere, basically, you know, all over the place. There was one a uh, person I can't remember what channel he was on, but he was. This was a long time ago, but he was doing a show from Guam, you know. <laughs> so as long as you have access to, uh, you know, high speed internet, things can be done from just about anywhere now. Yeah, and it's unbelievable, but that's here nor there. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, because we know everything on the internet is true there, but. I found it interesting that you were born in the Northeast in Massachusetts, but spent time growing up in Cleveland, Ohio. So what took you from one spot to another? Um, Well, my dad, uh, I moved with my my mom and dad. I'm an only child. And he got a position in Cleveland and uh, we moved there. Simple as that, basically. The reason I bring up Cleveland and I actually went on to learn about that, which was interesting was, and I know this is not another thing from what I had heard, and it was another interview you did, that you are not the most, I wouldn't say tech savvy, that's not the word, but you're not big into doing hair. And that you had this person, especially during the VJ days, out of Cleveland, that would help you out style the hair for a TV presentation. Was that true? No, that's not true. Um, um, the reason my hair does what it does is I did when I lived in Cleveland. I had uh, uh, Sally, her name was a stylist, cut it so that I didn't have to fuss around with it. But that was way before MTV. 
Um, and and basically nobody was styling it. I mean, it was just uh, I, I I got that haircut so because I, I I was not good at like doing things with my hair, and I wanted something that my hair would just be able to do what it does. And then in New York, uh, Eddie Chicani is um, the guy that um, cut it when I was in New York, who's top notch um, stylist. And uh, but no, we didn't. We didn't even have style. We didn't have hair and makeup uh, during our days at MTV. Well, obviously, for and I'm sure not as many people are aware of this. And correct, please correct me if I'm wrong, but you had some uh, musical background training, starting with the piano at like age four or five. So that right was, was that. Would you say that was the catalyst in wanting to become an entertainer? Yeah, I, I've I've always been a musician my whole life with piano, and then I went on to uh, harp. Um, I don't know in in junior high, I think it was, and. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, I played professionally. I played harp. That was my, I call it my day gig, but it was at night. <laughs> so that was, um, you know, before MTV, that was like my, like I said, my day gig. And then I was also, you know, going out for auditions because I also started acting as a child, um, you know, through a place called Liquid Little Theater, took drama lessons, did plays the whole thing. So I always had that duality going on. But um, yeah, I mean, um, there really wasn't a time that I um, seriously considered doing something other than uh, being a musician and or actress. Um, maybe for a little bit, I, I thought about um you know, because my dad was more practical. My mom was, uh, they both were very supportive of, of the artistic side. My mom, especially, but my dad, you know, worried about his daughter, you know, making a living. And, you know, so I thought, well, maybe I better think of something. And the only thing I would think of was a zoologist uh, because I love animals. But, but that was, you know, that was one of those things I go, yeah, but I don't want to do biology and cut up animals. You know, so I always kind of had this laser focus about, um, uh, you know, performing uh, as, like I said, a musician um, or acting. Well, that's funny. And obviously, dad had sounds like dad has some sense about him uh, wanting to have something practical to make a living and such. But was there ever a serious plan B for you? <laughs> there wasn't. No, no, because I was, thank God, I was always able to, um, early on, um, I, I met my manager, actually, who was also a musician, and he was playing, you know, approached them to jam with my harp, and they thought it was a harmonica, and, I, and then when I showed up with this huge instrument asking for help from the roadies they were like oh you mean a real harp yeah so when i met D danny sheridan his name is and um so he kind of uh not kind of he became my manager and he shepherded me um into being able to make a living because part of me was this 
you know, oh, I just want to play my 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 music, you know, for art and that kind of thing. And he said, you know, you can make a living. So, you know, he was very instrumental in, you know, packaging what I did. And, you know, I would go around and, you know, look, look for jobs as a harpist. And then, of course, moving to L.A. And I also did um, commercial voiceover work. So I was doing that, and I also uh, did some modeling, so I made a living with that. And, um, you know, out in L.A., I was working six, seven nights as a harpist and, um, you know, going to auditions, getting gigs here and there for acting. So what ended up uh, connecting you to this upstart channel at the time of MTV? Well, along with this was out, I had moved to L.A., and um, along with, um, you know, the harp, the acting and whatnot, I was working with three different uh, groups of people, producers, if you want to say, on uh, on video music projects. One in particular, which was called K-Punk, was very similar. Uh, and this you're talking about like 78, 79. Um, I was hosting these videos. There was a guy named Michael Seenhart who was very um, on the cutting edge. He had video equipment, all this kind of stuff, and had access to videos that were primarily from um, England and and Europe uh, that some artists were already making. So he would put together these shows, and I would function as um, a host to these. And, you know, we'd do man-on-the-street stuff. We'd go down to... um, was an area in Chinatown, which was all these punk and new wave clubs. And, you know, I'd interview people on the street. So I was already kind of doing something along those lines. And, you know, for years, I had subscribed to Billboard magazine, the industry Bible. And I read this little article that this 24-hour music video channel was looking for hosts and hostesses, as they put it. Uh, that knew music and knew about the music industry. And I thought, well, that's me, you know, sent in the, um, you know, my resume, uh, the eight by 10. And, um, you know, they came out to LA and, uh, held auditions. I did two of them. And then, you know, this was over a period of months in the beginning of 81 and then decided they wanted to hire me. And I was actually the first VJ they hired. And then I had to move to New York. <laughs> Bring you back to the East Coast, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. But speaking of that, you know, and when people mention your name, especially from the MTV days, a lot of people remember you for your interview skills, as you said. And I, from what I've heard, that you like to do a lot of research as well, as far as being yeah. able to talk to your guests. And obviously, when you're dealing with something such as a short window of MTV or say terrestrial radio, you only have so much time. So obviously mm-hmm. there's the new music that people are putting out and such that you got to cover, but is there a certain interview that really stands out that you got to enjoy? Well, there were, I would say 99% of them I enjoyed because I, I do like, uh, sitting back and 
listening, believe it or not. <laughs> you know, and I do like the research and I like to find out about artists. Um, and when, when I left MTV and then went out, uh, as you said at the beginning, um, to be the music reporter for Entertainment Tonight and then also Solid Gold, I really got to thrive as an interviewer because they were longer pieces um, and, you know, they were exclusive sometimes and some of the artists uh, wouldn't talk to anybody but me. They wanted me. They requested me, which was really nice. Um, like I did one of Whitney Houston's very first interviews for entertainment tonight. And she was very skeptical about, you know, the, the, the press and that, you know, she wasn't, you know, she was a little bit, you know, unsure when she started out about doing uh, interviews. So I got to do uh, one of her first ones, which was great. And then um, Elton John, was another one. Of course, he wasn't skeptical, but, you know, he wanted me to do the interview, which was cool. And, um, you know, so so I, I, I appreciated my time um, with Entertainment Tonight, especially. I had a great producer who sadly just passed away, Clay Smith, that was so supportive. And everybody loved him in the industry. So we got some real nice exclusives. Yeah, and I know I'm preaching at a choir here but you know it's just amazing that and i understand why people are skeptical about doing interviews and such but it's all about them being comfortable and like yeah. i know what i know with me i don't want to look jaded and i'm not about making there's not oh i got you that's not what we're about but oh no oh. no is there and i know you would understand this as well and not asking you to name names, because I know in almost nine and a half years of doing this, there's been some times it's pulling teeth, I guess, with guests. Have you had a couple where it's like you want to bang your head against a wall? Um, like I said, not really. I mean, uh, there was uh, one at MTV that uh, Bow Wow Wow, you remember them? Yes. With Annabella Lewin. And she was very young at the time. And they decided to cop this like little brat attitude. And, you know, I was going along with it. But my producer, who was on the floor at the time, Lizzie, she's doing the, she was getting livid, you know, and she's doing the thing, you know, with your finger across the neck, like, cut it, cut it, cut it. You know, they were just being, you know, silly. And, uh, you know, Annabella actually was on one of our recent um, 80s cruises that we do every year, except for last year, obviously. And uh, we kind of laughed at that. But, you know, they were just young. You know, they were Ad Adam's former aunts, and they were just, you know, being like rats. So, you know, that, that I, I actually... You know, there was never really, um, you know, most people, even Whitney, um, I, I think that people, most artists could tell what I was about, you know, so I, I, I don't, I think they felt, I, I always found them to feel 
comfortable with me because I didn't exude like, you know, uh, either like a fawning idiot, you know, like, oh, I love you, I love you, you know, all that kind of false garbage. And I think they could sense that, you know, I just wouldn't have a conversation and learn. Basically, you know, I wasn't trying to show off like how much I knew. There's some interviewers that, you know, it's like, you know, they're, they're spouting off all these facts and stuff. And it's like, get at the damn question. You know, it's like, you know, so I, I, for the most part, you know, didn't really run into that. Yeah. And exactly. I'm the same way and making sure I come in with the knowledge, but I'm not going to toot my own horn. But also, yeah, think, you know what I mean, though. There, there's some journalists that think, you know, that they have to spew out all everything they know, and yeah. it's like, well, yeah, but you're not the one. We want to hear it from those people. Exactly, and at least for me, and I know you would understand this, being from the Northeast originally and back here, that as far as when you're dealing with the guest, I don't like to bullshit or sugarcoat anybody. In terms of, I'm going to be upfront and honest with you, and I don't want to, you know, side blast you with anything. And I think all of the guests over nine and a half years appreciated that. Right. But one of the big events that you were a part of during MTV time and all that was Live Aid, which Philadelphia, where mm-hmm. I'm originally from, was one of our major cities. What was it like for you being a part of such a big spectacle? Oh, well, that was really, you know, that was a highlight for all of us because it was <clears throat> a historic event. And I remember all of us, I remember it being warm. It was a hot you know, day in July. And, um, you know, we were all on our top game, you know, because it was live going across, you know, the entire country and all over the world, you know. And, um, you know, you have to be on your toes when it's something that massive. Exactly. But is there a particular act from that that you really enjoyed maybe seeing in person? Well, you know, what was funny is where our um, broadcast stage was set up, we couldn't really see the stage. It was um, next to the stage, like parallel to the stage. So unfortunately... You know, we would see it on a monitor, so we couldn't really see the actual stage when it was happening, you know. So, yes, we were witnessing it live, but we were looking at it through a screen. Yeah, that's but, pretty uh, You know, I got to say, you know, I love, yeah, you know, it was a great day, but, uh, you know, one that I thought was so funny and quite entertaining was, uh, you know, of course, Mick, Mick and Tina. You know, because Tina's the one that was responsible for his uh, learning those moves. And then to see them together was kind of funny, you know, because they're both <laughs> so sassy, you know, and that that always sticks out in my mind, that particular one. But, uh, you know, it was great. Queen, oh, of uh, course, was in, um, you know, UK. I mean, that was phenomenal. Um, you know, it was a brilliant day. And this might make me sound like a homer. But the one thing that didn't make the DVD, I guess, that came out in recent years was I was disappointed to not see the Hooters on the DVD version. Oh, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I We had nothing to do with the DVD. Oh, no, I know that. But like I said, that's probably making me sound like a homer, but it is what it is. Yeah, well, you know, they're from Philadelphia. Why not? Root for your hometown boys. Exactly. But my final question for you, and I appreciate the time, and make sure you check out Nina on 80s on 8 on Sirius XM. But you mentioned the cruise there that you've done annually, except for last year, for obvious reasons. But what is it about the 80s that people love going back and revisiting? The 80s? That was 70 years ago. Well, I think because it was so colorful, you know, you did have MTV, which was this new thing and brought, you know, all these fashions and interesting groups and artists into everybody's home. And, um... You know, it it brings back, uh, you know, a carefree time uh, for people. Yeah, you know, there was, you know, stuff that was going on, you know, uh, with Reagan in office and all that kind of stuff. Uh, But, you know, not for people that were growing up during that period of time. You know, I mean, it was fun. It was so creative. Um, and, And... even, you know, like, we have new listeners that are young, you know, that are the kids of of people that grew up with MTV that listen to, to our channel. And they love the music because it's upbeat for the most part and fun. And, you know, I just, that, that's it. I just think when, when I think of 80s, I think of colorful and fun. Well, and... This is actually the final question, because I just thought about that as you were answering that. Is there anything, because I know sometimes, especially from the 80s, whether it be clothing or certain aspects on the fun side, like you said, to leave the politics and all out of it from that time period. Yeah. But was there anything cringeworthy that you look back and go, oh, I can't believe I would wear that or I do this or I do that? Well, you know, there were there were a lot of cringe-worthy things, you know, that that fashion or style-wise. Like the, I didn't wear a mullet, but mullets, in particular, you know, the short in the front and the long in the back, and that was quite, you know, I, I don't know, you know, some people could really carry it off, but you know, some of them were not, and I think the overabundance of uh, perms that happened <laughs> in the 80s. You know, some of the big hair got a little too big, you know, but um, I don't know, you know, I, I, um, most of this stuff that I wore, I liked, you know. Um, you know, I wouldn't run around wearing some of the stuff today because it's, except maybe on the cruise, you know, yeah. everybody dresses up, but, um, you know, um, yeah, that kind of thing, like leg warmers and whatever. But, you know, it's just fun. It's yeah. it's all in good spirit. Exactly. And I'm actually going to go to pick up lunch in my leg warmers after we get done with this call here. So it is what it is. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. I Just don't tell anybody about their pink uh, leg warmers. What, what, what? You have pink leg warm uh, as we speak right now. Warmers. They're on as we speak. I won't tell nobody. Oh, how funny! 
No. Well, I mean, they're appropriate. They're not. I mean, they're a dancer's bit of clothing. I mean, they're for dancers. So it's really not that bizarre. Yeah. You know, they just became a fad. Yeah, you know, there's. I wasn't too fond of spandex, you know, <laughs> but, you know, that came about uh, basically because of gymnastics that people were performing on sta- I mean, not really gymnastics, but the performing, you know, because you needed uh, a type of uh, material that didn't rip, you know, like David Lee Roth doing his kicks and all that. You can't oh, be yeah. wearing jeans or regular pants. You need something that could take all that punishment. Uh, exactly. Nina Blackwood, thank you so much. Thank take- you. Say hi to uh, Philly. Hey, I know we have a lot of horror fans that listen to our shows, and I know things have been tough for everybody across the board these past six or seven months with what's been going on in the real world, but I wanted to make a suggestion to you horror fans, because I know part of the normal routine year in and year out is to attend different conventions to meet some of your favorite horror stars. However, none of us have been able to do that because of obvious reasons. But I do have a little suggestion for you. SignatureHorror.com Now, some may ask, what is that? Well, they obtain autographs for the fans from some of their favorite stars, from some of their favorite franchises. Whether it be the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and many more. They have different options such as, besides getting their autographs, you can do live Zoom calls with your favorite stars. You can do personalized videos for people, greetings of some sort. They just have many options. So if you're looking for to spend some money that you may have spent at conventions, check them out and see the options they have signaturedhorror.com that's right signaturehorror.com hi this is Eric Blue with Blue Oyster Cult you're listening to Crazy Train Radio <laughs> <laughs> 